And I think we've changed that and that now a visit to the ER is full of heroic helping. We're like a beacon of hope. You walk in there, people will right away, like within 60 seconds, you will see a doctor who will immediately start helping. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. I'm happy to announce today that we have a twofer. Joining me are the co-founder and founder of Veterinary Emergency Group, aka VEG, David Gladstein and David Bessler. Dr. David Bessler serves as founder and CEO of VEG. He receives his veterinary medical degree from the University of Pennsylvania in 2003 and spent the next 11 years in emergency medicine. In 2014, David acquired the first VEG hospital in White Plains, New York, to offer a radically open, holistic approach for the caregiver, customer, and patient. In 2015, he built the second VEG hospital from the ground up, and in 2016, he met David Gladstein. David Gladstein serves as co-founder and president of VEG and spent over a decade in the investment world with significant experience investing in healthcare and helping small businesses grow. Then in 2017, he joined forces with David Bessler to grow VEG into the preeminent veterinary emergency hospital in the United States. Today, VEG has 41 ERs for pets in 14 states and treats over 300,000 emergencies a year. VEG's mission is to revolutionary the veterinary emergency industry and create a VEGolution. I love that. Welcome to you both. I'm really excited about this today. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having us, Carol. So, uh, David Bessler, tell me first how you define this radically open, holistic approach for the caregiver who would be, I'm assuming, the veterinarian, the customer who's somebody like me, and the patient, my animals. Yeah, I, I think that uh, for a long time, the veterinary emergency experience was one of separation, where people would bring their pets to the emergency room. Very quickly, the, uh, the emergency, the caregivers would separate, would leave the, the, the pet owner out in the waiting room, would take the pet to the back. Right. Uh, there was so much that was lost as part of that, um, that I thought was really valuable. Um, for example, pet owners really had no idea what the caregivers were doing to their That's pets right. in the back. Um, <laughs> they assumed the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and worse than that, I think, is they didn't see all the great heroic helping that was going on yeah. uh, in, in the back. And so by bringing customers to the back along with, you know, with their pets, uh, they were able to see everything that was going on. And so we did that for transparency reasons. And uh, mm-hmm. what we discovered then is when the pet owners, we call customers, were able to see the caregivers, what they were doing, they were really appreciative. They, it added value in their eyes um, mm-hmm. to the work that we were doing. And then an added level, an added dimension, if you will, that happened was the caregivers, you know, they're, they're all in the back at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the veggies, right? Our doctors, our nurses, all in the back with pet owners and patients, all there together, multiple families in there. Uh, 
And the pet owners started interacting with one another. That's the holistic thing. There's really uh, magic that happens in an ER. Mm-hmm. And that's the um, the open holistic approach is everybody gets to see and actually participate in everything, which is just a a, um, a leveled up experience for everybody. Why do you think that that is not the case? And, and not only in emergency medicine, David, I mean, I find that just at the regular veterinarian. <laughs> They'll do things, take your animals in the back. And I'm like, OK, I'll just sit here and wait. What you know, how are you handling my animal? Yeah, I think it's a legacy thing. When you think about it, um, uh, fathers were not allowed in the delivery room um, to see their children being born uh, Mm -hmm. in the 1950s and 60s. And that wasn't really reevaluated and reassessed until the 90s, maybe in the 80s. And I think that there's a 1950s way of, of veterinary medicine that was kind of stolen from or copied from the 1950s version of human medicine. And nobody really ever reevaluated that. Now, in in the human medical fields, there's an increased uh, focus on on people and the patients and their per- perception. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the book like "What If Disney Ran Your Hospital?" This idea that um, people go through—it's not just medical care—they go through an experience, and they want it to be a helpful, mm-hmm. caring experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nobody in the veterinary world ever reevaluated that, and we just started doing that. I think it's also, there's about 30 veterinary schools in the United States, Carol, and almost all of them um, haven't really touched their kind of footprint in a long time. And that footprint doesn't really, isn't conducive to having customers and their pets in the back, mm-hmm. so to say. It's uh, certainly not that clean. Uh, it's kind of a bunch of wig, wiggle waggle in rooms. Um, and I think that uh, all the students when they leave school have also learned this over time and that hasn't changed either. So I think it's a learned thing coupled with legacy issues that David talked about. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, David, tell me, tell me the story of how the two of you met since you were David Gladstein. Which David, Carol? <laughs> David number one, David number uh, two. <laughs> I'll, I'll give a little background and David can pick it up yep. on why he responded. Yes, is that so, um, you know, I was in the investment world and had a lot of experience working with entrepreneurs and always felt more relatable to entrepreneurs than the guys or gals that were sitting next to me in the investment side of the table. And I really wanted to be on the other side of the table as the entrepreneur, the one making it happen, the one in the room where it happened, so to say. And, um, you know, me and David meeting, like most things in life, is a combination of uh, luck and timing. Uh, Maybe luck and timing are similar concepts. But Mm -hmm. um, I was just at the point in my career where it was like, put my cards on the table or not. Mm. And, um, you know, my wife and I agreed, um, to that. This was something I should focus on trying to do something entrepreneurial. Mm. I typed in entrepreneurial vet near me and, um, there's no other entrepreneurial vet near me other than Dr. David Bessler. (laughs) And, uh, David, you know, I saw that he owned two practices. Um, and you know, I saw that it was emergency focused. Truthfully, I wasn't totally knowledgeable about the emergency space. Mm. Um, but I did see what was going on in the human world, um, certainly with respect to urgent care and um, the need for like, you know, no appointments, just walk right in. Um, and so I saw David's practices and I just wrote them on a whim. And I think um, the whim was like, hey, know a lot about the vet space. If you're ever interested in growth, I'd love to chat. Um, and then it was on David's shoulders to answer. So I did half the job. Um, the other half was, was him. 
Yeah. Okay. David, so take uh, it away. Yeah. Yeah, I got so I got this email, and I think one thing David and I share is this idea of you know take every meeting. Mm-hmm. You never know where uh, we're agree. real proof of this. You never know where the next great idea is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And I answered the email. I said, sure, why don't you stop by? And uh, he came by. David will remember the date. I'm not good with dates. Um, but David just came by the hospital, got a tour. It was a pretty small, crappy little hospital, I must say. Um, it had been around for you know mm-hmm. 25 years. Uh, but uh, he really you know, saw the great potential in emergency and realized quickly that there's nobody else focused on just emergency. And that we had figured out a way to reinvent the emergency experience to really differentiate it from any other emergency experience you could get in veterinary medicine. Uh, he asked me the key question, I think, which was, um, you know, do you want to just build, um, you know, one more emergency hospital at a time and have like 10 by the time you retire? Or do you want to change the world? And right. for me, it took me no time to answer. It's just I was always kind of the rebellious kid. And mm-hmm. I said, I want to change the world. And he pointed out, we're going to need a bunch more money uh, to do that. <laughs> and then we were, you know, off to the races. And I think I also saw uh, something in David, right? So as an investor, you're fortunate to meet a lot of executives. Mm-hmm. And David clearly had the passion, the energy, and the innovative mind and the curiosity to lead a business. And um, I think I saw a partner, and I think David saw the same thing, obviously, but saw a partner that uh, is someone that I'd want to really spend time with. and. You know, as much time as I spend with my family or more, I spend with David and vice versa. And I think we saw each other kindred spirits of, you know, people that really were interested in, in right. making things better for people and their pets and for our yeah. business. I had, a, I called a lot of friends when we were trying to, you know, figure out our partnership. Uh-huh. I called a lot of friends uh, just to make sure that I wasn't being a sucker. Um, <laughs> and uh, I called somebody from my, my previous work life and you know, I, I, I just asked, he asked me three questions. He said, he said, is he smart? And I said, he's wicked smart. Um, <laughs> and asked me if he's, David's hardworking. And uh, I mean, just through the whole process, David worked day and night, yeah. um, just made more spreadsheets and more documents than I could imagine in like, you know, record time, mm-hmm. uh, working to late hours, willing to meet whenever. So I said yes to that. And then he asked me, is he a good person? And at that point, I'd already met David. I'd met uh, his wife and his kids, mm-hmm. and uh, he'd met mine. And uh, I, I think I felt really comfortable that he's a good person. Um, little did I know that he's really like, you know, evil. But Yeah, right. Um, I got two out of three. So. Right. So from, from the time you two met till the time you walked down the aisle and, you know, sealed the deal, what was that period, that time period? Yeah, so we met in December of 2016. Mm-hmm. And then um, we had a meeting with um, Kevin Kelly from Sequoia. Kevin's um, mm-hmm. uh, Sequoia Heritage, and Kevin yep. is a. At the time, I think he was a director, and he was in town in New York. And it's a cool story, actually. He was in town. I, I think it was February, so probably right around was it six years? Right around now, now, yeah, six years ago, mm-hmm. seven years, uh, six or seven years. It's been a while, and. Um, Kevin was in town and I said, Hey, I'd love you to meet um, this guy that I'm working with. One, because, hey, do you have a rich aunt or uncle to help us? But also, I'd love to <laughs> vet him uh, with someone else too. And, yeah. like, am I going to leave my high paying finance job? I want to know that, like, you know, the guy, I want someone else. David had friends thinking about me. I, I had to have the same. Um, and we met, uh, we were driving into the city and David's uh, 
than David's versa. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I remember saying to myself, like, I can, can I swear on this, Carol? Yes, you may. And I said, shit, did I, you know, Heritage is the biggest uh, and the best uh, investment firm to work with for a right. company like us. We haven't even prepped. You know, like, what am I doing? <laughs> and um, this is like my chance to get to meet, you know, Heritage or Sequoia once in your life. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we, but I also wanted to see how David would react. And I think he probably wanted to see the same with me. And, um, you know, it was a really good to meet Kevin. Uh, and that was February. Mm-hmm. Then Kevin sent David and I email probably like a week or so after inviting us to come out to Silicon Valley. Um, and David can share a funny story about that if you want. And then um, we had that meeting in March. And that was really surreal, I think, for both of us. But it was also really the first chance for us to spend so much time together on the road, mm-hmm. which we do now. Um, and, you know, we got to do all the things that Entrepreneur does, print our books at the Kinkos and have dinner before and take our picture in front of the Sequoia sign and mm-hmm. see all the IPOs on the wall. And, um, and then we, you know, go, we had to essentially build a company, though, after that, like legally... Um, you know, mm-hmm. clinically, like we had to do all these actually company building activities that were like, oh, we just need 15, 30 days. And we yeah, had to move right. fast in about 90 <laughs> days. So we did that in about 90 days. And then we closed yeah. in July of 2017, the first round okay. of funding. And we did our third, uh, we bought our third hospital concurrently with that right. funding. Too. So how did you know? Um, and, and the reason I ask this is because I, of course, talk to and work with founders all the time. And I'm working with one right now who I firmly believe needs a co-founder or, or the company will not get to where it needs to be. Okay. For a multitude of reasons I don't need to get into here. However, how did you two know that what you thought about each other wasn't just the honeymoon stage? <laughs> I think there's one thing that, uh, if I remember back, and I don't know if that's still on their website, but on Heritage's, Heritage's website, one of their, we'll call it like core values. Yeah. It was alignment. Mm. And I think very quickly, David and I, neither of us really comes from much. Um, I had, you know, a bazillion dollars in personally guaranteed student debt and yeah, the right. debt from building yeah. and buying my first places. And yeah. David had left his job. We really, we had everything riding on this. Um, and I think we were very much aligned. We had a very clear vision it became more clear over time. We had a very clear vision of what we wanted to do. This idea of changing the world, building an empire, mm-hmm. you know, this vision of like a million veggies all over the country, all over the world, mm-hmm. um, with an amazing experience happening inside. We both shared that and we realized that's what we need to execute against. And if we don't do that, it's just not, it's not success. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we had that alignment, I think from the very beginning yeah, and David knew like a business guy mm-hmm. without the business expertise, like the, the, uh, it's like a, an engine without a car. It doesn't yeah, go right. anywhere. Um, and you know, so he understood what he needed in me. And, and for mm-hmm. me, I know, like, I know the hell out of veterinary emergency, what customers want, what patients mm-hmm. need, what, uh, what our employees are looking for, what the world needs for emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of building out a team, a headquarters, um, managing the finances, uh, the investments, et cetera, in the company, I didn't know anything about. So we were aligned in so many ways that I think yeah. was this, this secret. It's yeah, funny. I and, think we actually had a page in our deck, Carol, that said, that introed us. I'm fairly certain this was the page. It was called Shared Values, Complementary Skills. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm fairly certain that was the title. 
And I think that's exactly what we yeah. both saw was we have the same core values mm-hmm. and complementary skills to make this work. And oh, by the way, it's really just fun to do it with someone else. It's a very lonely job we have. Mm-hmm. And if you can share that loneliness with someone else, it's, uh, it makes it more fun. Yeah, that's fantastic. So would you say that the biggest problem you're solving is this open holistic approach to emergency medicine? Not really. Okay. Um, I think that what we discovered just works. Um, it's funny if you ask people before they join veg and you say like, what's your biggest concern? They'll say the open hospital concept, mm-hmm. having customers around all the time. I'm terrified of that. And then if you ask everybody at veg, they will say the thing that I like the most is the open hospital concept, yes. having customers around all the time. I will never go back. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just discovered magic. I think the reason why is nobody had ever in the, I, it's crazy that, it, but nobody had ever focused their lens. Yep. Nobody had ever focused their lens just on emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that and we said emergency can be plucked out of everything else and can be developed as its own thing. Uh, and, and that's what we did. Uh, so that's actually not our, our biggest okay. problem. I think our biggest problems are the typical problems of growth that any growing, like rapidly scaling company encounters. Mm-hmm. That's what we're encountering as well. We know what we are. We know what we want to be. Um, we know all those things. Um, we're just learning a lot about how to mm-hmm. build and run a company. And convincing mm-hmm. our teams that the fluff, so to say, which we don't view as fluff, is the most important thing. Meaning that the culture of our business, no matter what we think about financials or how fast we build or how many people we can hire, that um, mm-hmm. what makes us differentiated is what actually makes us differentiated. Mm-hmm. And Carol, I'll just pause there for a second and point out part of what makes this relationship great, and I think what makes our company, is that you asked the question and like the vet dude answered scaling the company and processes and whatever it is, like that's the challenge and that's what we're you know committed mm-hmm. to. And the business guy answered culture, et cetera. Um, we, both, we both own and care about the, like, the entire company, yeah. um, every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we may focus on our, our day-to-day on one thing, but we care a whole lot about the other. Mm-hmm. So you're privately held. Tell me a little bit about the investment that's been put into the organization from a venture capital standpoint. So um, the two biggest individual holders remain David and myself, right? Yep. Um, the, you know, we have, we realize, again, David and I don't come from money. So our options were to go one by one, you know, over the next decade and maybe by now have six hospitals or, um, or to, you know, change, sort of create the resolutions you talked about. Mm-hmm. And so that required an innovative investor behind us who had a similar mindset. And so we met uh, Square Heritage in 2017 and they provided us with capital for the first call it four year three or four years of our life mm-hmm. um and then you know we have broad ambitions to hold on to badge for a long 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 time and so that means we continue to need really smart people by our side and so we've added some you know there's a chance that maybe veg goes public one day um don't know when but there's a chance and i think that would be the natural path for us and so we took on some pre-IPO investors like Fidelity, who you know some of our people have 401ks with, um, D1 Capital and Durable Capital. Um, and then we recently you know did a round with um, Addition, uh, which is led by Leaf Excel. And um, you know I think that we have investors that because they give us money, they're allowed to ask questions. But the neat part is we tried to pick partners that understand um, what David and I and Veg are doing is different and special. And we wanted to pick partners and investors that understood that and that understand the special part of that and don't 
and know that that's where the biggest value comes from. Value doesn't come from numbers or how beautiful our buildings are. Value comes from the experience we're providing our veggies and our customers. Mm -hmm. And I think our investors, I'm actually, I don't think I'm very confident our investors know that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's what it, there's misconceptions about is that a really good investor understands that and mm-hmm. wants to, they'll push us, right? Just like we push our people. Dave and I have people that we work with every day. We push them and our investors push us, um, but they don't push us down the alley of like hurting our culture or mm-hmm. making stupid decisions for the short term. They push us on how do you create the world's veterinary emergency company? And they're going to like keep their foot on the gas in order for us to do that too. Mm-hmm. David, what was it about veterinary emergency medicine that had you, you know, get your degree at Penn and go right out and start doing it? You know, I didn't know that I was going to be an emergency vet when I graduated. I thought that I was going to be a radiologist because I got A's in radiology and I got B's in emergency. Um, <laughs> That's great. I definitely didn't want to do dermatology. I got C's in dermatology. Um, That's so funny. But uh, I think people have a very bad habit of letting school tell them what they can and can't do or should and mm-hmm. shouldn't do. Uh, there's very little correlation, as I'm proof of, that mm-hmm. your success in a particular subject in school <laughs> equates to your success in that in life. I would agree. Um, so I thought I wanted to be a radiologist. Uh, that probably would have been the worst profession for me. Uh, I am not the type of person that likes to sit in the dark um, yeah, and not have a ton of communication yep. with pet owners. Uh, during my internship, I did a rotating internship uh, at a specialty hospital after, my, after I graduated. And that's when I started seeing emergency cases. Mm. That's when I first started being a veterinarian. And I learned that the really most important thing is that uh, when one patient walks in, two patients walk in. Every pet comes with a person. And that person in an emergency situation is just as sick as the pet. They are worried sick. Um, And they come in worried. If you screw it up, they come in worried and they leave mad. Yeah. Um, and that's what kind of the rest of the world was doing with them. For me, I was, I'm a people pleaser. And so I was focused on them coming in worried and me helping them. And that's where, honestly where we got our mission. Our mission is helping people and their pets when they need it most. That's what I derive my fulfillment from mm-hmm. is from helping the people with their pet emergencies. Um, I can save the pet and that makes me feel great. Um, but I work for thank yous and the thank yous that I get when, when a pet owner turns to you and says, you know, with tears in their eyes, like, doctor, my family and I can't thank you enough. You saved our baby's life. Like Mm -hmm. that is all the reward for me. And I found most of that in its most concentrated form in emergency. Yeah. What would you say are the biggest challenging challenges that you are facing at veg at this point? (laughs) There are a lot of challenges, Carol. Um, pick a few, pick two, pick three. Yeah. I think, um, one big one is, we deliver a certain experience. Our experience is really next level for our customers and for our mm-hmm. veggies. Mm-hmm. Um, you look on our social media, you'll find veggies, you know, just raving about how they've never been thanked so much, about how they feel so much more mm-hmm. part of the company, part of what they do. You'll see pet owners talking about how heroic we were and how much they loved the uh, open hospital concept and that immersive experience. Um, it can always get better. Mm-hmm. And our job is to make sure that we're constantly improving that experience, just like any other service hospitality company needs to improve. As you grow, it becomes harder to make those changes. For example, now we're making certain specific changes to our, to our experience. 
we have to develop training. We're, we're opening a lot of hospitals this year. Mm-hmm. We have to develop training methods uh, and processes to put that in place in 30 hospitals. And oh yeah, we have 40 other hospitals and we have to put that in place in those other 40 hospitals. Mm-hmm. And then, oh my God, what's gonna happen next year? We're gonna have 70 hospitals to put that in place in right. and we're opening out of the 30. It becomes very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And so you have to make sure that you maintain that um, uh, small business feel and agility as you grow. That for me is one of the biggest challenges. And then how do we replicate ourselves and our best leaders too, right? So all the things that David said, um, obviously, and then I think, okay, but then we need the people to actually go out there and yeah, uh, almost who do we hold accountable to actually do those actions? And that is, um, you know, training the next generation of leaders at Edge mm-hmm. and ensuring that we have an environment where leaders can thrive and the people have an opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. Because if the reality is, if we create that type of culture, right, that allows us to do all the things that David talked about. Um, and that's why we kind of work well together, which is just each of us is constantly focused on the whole picture, but we have yeah. our lanes and go down. And, um, I think we're always worried too about settling for mediocrity, meaning that our teams are just okay with the status quo mm-hmm. um, and now looking to improve. David built the business on changing the status quo, and we need to constantly push that envelope. So, so would you say that your the industry itself is facing these types of challenges? Look, after COVID, I think our industry has faced a lot of challenges, right? Yeah. So emergency, broadly speaking, emergency stayed open during COVID most of the time, yeah. right? There were some hospitals that have enough mm-hmm. staffing, but like they wanted to stay open. Um, I, I think that our industry is facing a lot of fatigue that the human healthcare industry is faced yes. too right now, right? Right. which is, you know, they went through three years of pandemic and everyone got pets. And I think that's been really hard for our teams in the front lines. Um, I also think that there are not nearly enough veterinarians and veterinary nurses in the world. And so, um, and the pet population is growing at a much faster rate than the clinical profession is growing at. And Hmm. certainly the amount of money that's being put into the vet world too. Mm -hmm. And so what you have there is you have a dynamic of having to train and educate more veterinarians and nurses. And, um, that is really job one A and one B for our world. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we have to train them the veg way, right? So there's like an extra layer of that, which is we do things differently. Mm-hmm. So I think our industry is plagued by not, I also don't think our industry, you know, we talked in the beginning, Carol, like our industry hasn't gone through any real innovation and in customer experience, right? Like you have a lot of companies buying other companies, which I think is wonderful, uh, I guess, for the sellers of those companies, but really for no one else. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that, our industry needs to continuously innovate and change for the vets that are graduating today because those vets want a place with mission-driven culture. They want a place with differentiated experience for them. And, um, you know, I think that is a real challenge for, for people to try to understand. What are some of the mistakes that you have each made and why do you think you made those mistakes? I have uh, one now I, and it, it's hard it's hard to call it a mistake. Um, I like to say like you either win or you learn. Um, and it's, it's the kind of thing like everybody talks about making mistakes and failure and how that's really a good thing. I think you don't really believe it until you experience it. It sounds like, um, people can repeat it. It's cliche, but, right. um, to give you an example, we, we defined our customer experience with these seven things we call our spikes. And we did that very early on. Um, 
And then we moved on to other cultural things. And we really did a great job of, I think, of documenting our culture. But we didn't go deeper and deeper. And so we found that some of our standards of excellence are not very well defined. Um, And you end up with um, people having very different understandings of what those standards are because you didn't define them very, very clearly. So I think a mistake, if I look back now, I would say, you know, man, I wish I would have defined that, spent more time figuring out what asking why six times or what six times really figure out like, what does it really, really mean? And documenting that. And we're kind of, you know, paying the price now where we have to go backwards and redefine it for everybody with all the misunderstanding. Um, that's one thing. Uh, David, if you have another thing. Yeah. I mean, I personally made a lot of mistakes as a leader. I think that, um, you know, it's a, you're interesting, Carol. And hey, David, I, probably the same way for David. You know, I've but, never, I've never made any mistakes. No, same way in like, right. for, like, you know, before veg, I didn't really oversee anybody. Yeah. Right. I don't think before, right. I mean, in Boo Pearl, like, I, I know you would lead a shift, but like, you didn't have like the big like team no. that right. relied on, we'll get the parking lot and there are all people that are relying on me and David to like, you know, uh, care for them and lead them. And I think I, I didn't lead people before veg. And, um, and so when I first started that, I'm kind of leading people. I think that, you know, sometimes I would come off as too harsh and sometimes I would come off as, you know, not harsh enough, I guess, in the sense of like trying to, you know, people come, you think you always have to build an emotional bank account with people, which I've really learned from David. And then you have to be willing to have direct, real conversations with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, we say, or I say, then I think we both believe that, you know, leadership at VEG and our jobs, essentially hiring great people, training them, you know, to become great people at VEG, like setting high standards for them and holding them accountable. Right. And so I think that, I think that I was probably good at the hiring part. <laughs> Um, I was not good. And I think I was okay at the training part. I think I wasn't as good on setting standards for them and holding people accountable to that in the right way. Right. Um, not just, you know, uh, forcing, but like creating an environment where they can thrive and showing them what great looks like. And I think that's, if I have had any success as a leader, um, it's because I think I've understood I need to be great at all four and I need to be intellectually honest about being great at all four. I was not great at all four in the beginning. Right. Well, and, and, you know, when you, when you talk about being able to have these, you know, honest conversations with people, that's what I refer to as a culture of feedback, right? Where anybody in the organization can really talk to anyone else to the side above or below them and being able to have a straight conversation without any worry for their job, for, you know, whatever that might be, that there'll be gossip about it, um, and, and, you know, that gets challenging the larger your organization is. It can be. I mean, we have a town hall that anyone can ask us any question uh, across the entire company. Um, openness is our first core value. So shame on David and me if we um, can't encourage an environment where people can be open with us. Well, you have to practice um, what you preach. David said alignment in the beginning about our relationship. And I think because we're aligned, all we want to do is like, build the world's own emergency company. It's not like a fake saying, like it's actually what we want to do. And I think we, we know we, we're not, we're going to be a materially different. Hopefully our values are the same. And our culture is even better than it is today, but veg won't look the exact same. Our hospitals won't look the exact same today than the new five years from now. I hope right. they don't. Um, and so we got to, we have to get better in order to do that. Right. How do you determine where you're going to open up new hospitals? Why don't you take it? And role reversal. So, David usually deals with that more, but um, I can answer. There's actually a a bunch of different things that we look at. Um, And 
the number one thing we look at is where there are pets that need help. Right. Um, and so we look at demographics. Uh, it's hard. You're hard pressed to find a place in the United States where, um, where, you know, the number of people is not closely correlated or the number of pets, not closely correlated to the number of people. So really it's mm-hmm. most of it is population. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just look at areas of the country that, um, that have a lot of people and those people have pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the next thing we look at is, um, you know, we, we really don't, we think that we're very, very differentiated. I think if you put, you know, uh, three doors in front of people, one of those doors is veg and the other two is another provider of emergency services. If people don't know the difference between us, then they'll just divide up and each go into a different, right. you know, a different door. They'll split the market three ways. But if they know anything about us and they know that, you know, we say emergency is our middle name, it's all we do. So we do it best. Mm-hmm. Um, that what we buy ourselves by focusing only on emergency, we don't allow ourselves to do anything else. We don't sell food. We don't do general practice. We don't do specialty. Um, that we limit ourselves. Um, right. And right. other people make full businesses out of doing everything under one I roof. Know. What we mm-hmm. buy with that is the right to say that we focus on emergency. We do it best. And so if you're a pet owner and you know, you know, really what veg is all about and the experience you're going to have, the first person is going to walk up and they're going to go into the veg door. The second person will walk up and we'll go into the same veg door and we just will not split the market equally. We'll take the lion's share of the market. So we really don't look at competition um, that much. That said, if you look at where there are people and pets, you will find pockets where there's just no emergency options um, in, in big areas. And so we'll go there first. Those are easy. Um, the other ones we, you know, we look for the, like the best demographics is, you know, probably the next thing. And then Mm -hmm. the third thing we look at is more on a much more local level, which is, you know, um, a lot of people find us, it has to be convenient for people to come to, so there needs to be enough parking. Um, it, we, people find us, we need people to know about us before the need arises. And a lot of people find that out by just driving by They're you know, on their way back and forth from work to and from shopping, et cetera. And so being located on the way or near those things is important. And then the most Local on a most local level is um, the building itself. There's a certain amount of space. We believe in openness. Um, if you look at our first hospital, our flagship, if you will, in White Plains, New York, you can drive by on Route 119 mm-hmm. and stop, and you can see directly into our surgery suite. Wow! From the outside, yeah, giant glass windows into our treatment area, glass windows into our OR. Um, we look for places that have that. A lot of openness, a lot of space that kind of fits our fits our model. Is there a part of that that I missed? Yeah. There you go. Are you still buying hospitals or are you building? Are you d- we don't buy anything. Okay. Um, the main reason we is... We buy real estate. Oh, that's yeah. true. We do yeah. buy real estate. There's yeah. anybody out there. But um, our culture is extremely important to us. And the yes. way we do things, the veg way, the way that we run our hospitals, we actually don't... Our hospitals are built completely differently. There's no... If you walk into the, mm-hmm. the typical veterinary practice, whether it be a general practice or a specialty mm-hmm. practice, mm-hmm. Um, you walk into the lobby... Yeah. And then there are doors into exam rooms because right. that's their flow. You walk in, you check mm-hmm. in with the receptionist, you go to an exam room and you wait. Um, that's not our flow. For us, you go directly to the ER, directly to the bath. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually no way to get from our lobby into our exam rooms. We're actually building new hospitals now we call Rovers or Radically Open Veterinary ERs mm-hmm. um, that uh, there actually is no lobby because it doesn't really match our flow, ideally. So you walk through the front double doors and you're right in the ER. And so we have found when we, when we buy uh, existing practices, even just physically, it's very hard to convert them to our way of mm-hmm. doing things. Yeah. We'd rather build It makes scratch. perfect sense. So do you, do we, cause uh, you know, I'm, th- I'm just, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, you know, there's two emergency clinics within 20 minutes of me. 
And I don't care for either of them, frankly, right? I'd never heard of your organization until David Gladstein and I met, right? Um, and, you know, I, fortunately, I have only, I have not had a go other than one time. Um, however, you never know when that's going to happen, right? And I look at my choices and I think, eh, I don't really like either of these choices. In an emergency, I'm not going to drive to Denver to go to a veg hospital, right? So I'm curious as to if you look where there's other emergency areas and think, you know, we should build one here. Where do you, where do you live, Carol, if you don't mind sharing? Um, I, I live in Douglas County, um, Colorado, which I, I, can't, I live between Parker and Franktown. So there's an emergency clinic in Parker and there's one in Castle Rock. We believe that veggies can work in small towns and big towns. We really do. Um, today they work in urban centers the biggest urban centers in the world, and they work in suburbs. Um, and they work in ex-suburbs yeah. even. So um, I think that we we have a real belief that like there should be a veg everywhere and that there needs to be a veg everywhere. And I think mm-hmm. there'll be veggies everywhere soon. Um, what we ultimately need is a great leader to run those veg hospitals that believes in the veg way, that wants to mm-hmm. build a hospital in the veg way. And if we find them and they live right. in Wichita, Kansas, then we will build in Wichita, Kansas with that leader. Um, and mm-hmm. that probably more expedites the process. The great example is in your, kind of in your area, which is Denver, which is David and I um, were at one of our big industry conferences. And, you know, at the time, I think we had only four hospitals. I'm very confident, actually, we had only four. And uh, we had Boynton Beach, uh, which was, we had uh, Clifton, we had White Plains, we had Nanuet, first four. And, um, Mm-hmm. We met a doctor who's an amazing uh, uh, person and doctor, in, and she's an experienced emergency doctor, and she's based in Denver. And she's like, whenever you guys open in Colorado, let me know. And uh, David was the one who <laughs> said to her, well, why don't we just talk to you about opening in Colorado? And, and we did. Right. And, uh, you know, Dr. Karen Nelson was the first, you know, connection we had in Denver. And now we have a beautiful hospital that serves its community in an incredible way. We built a second one in Denver. Mm-hmm. We built a third one in Boulder. We're building a fourth in Denver Tech Center. We're going to build in Fort Collins, Colorado ah. Springs. And so soon enough, Colorado will be mm-hmm. you know, one of our bigger markets. And it all started with one conversation about one leader that wanted to build a veg hospital. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I, I, so what, you know, when you, when you find these leaders, uh, y- you know, what kind of, training do you give them and help them with in leadership to actually build that hospital? So once upon a time, it was none. Uh, Once upon a time, we said, great ER doctor. We super get along. You seem smart. Uh, You seem willing to do it. Uh, You know, here's a a $2 million hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, since then, we've discovered that a lot of these medical directors would certainly benefit from some leadership training and some specific medical director training. Mm-hmm. We have right. hospital managers. Um, hospital managers benefit from hospital manager training and leadership training. So we've built right. processes right. that we put people through now. We've taken, mm-hmm. really what we do is we leverage our best other leaders to come in and share their knowledge about leadership and the yeah. domain-specific expertise that they need, whether that be medical directorship or hospital management. Um, and that's the way we, that's the way we train our people. That's continually evolving. Uh, the, 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 uh, programs themselves are evolving and we're adding on additional programming and we're now we're starting to look um, for our 
uh, future leaders even younger. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Why is veterinary emergency medicine so expensive? Uh, because veterinary emergency doctors and veterinary emergency nurses are hard to come by, have an insane amount of skill. Okay. They go through years of training. Mm -hmm. um, they have insane student loans. Um, they work the nights mm -hmm. that everybody else uh, wants to be asleep at home. Mm -hmm. uh, all, all those things. I think, uh, honestly, yeah. I really, I know that veterinary emergency medicine is expensive relative to what people are expecting. But in the grand scheme of things, I actually think that um, uh, a lot of times we undervalue our services. I think veterinary medicine in general undervalues its services when you think about what you get. We have all the same equipment. We actually have in one of our hospitals, we have higher tech equipment than you would find in your like typical local uh, urgent care. Um, even I was even surprised, even in some local human emergency rooms, we have more updated advanced equipment. Um, than in a lot of those places. We have ultrasounds. We have a full in-house lab. We have all the x-ray capability. We have the full spectrum of medications. We have to hold medications in stock that we'll use once a year. Yes. We have uh, anti-venom. Oh, wow. yeah. Anti-venom for if your dog gets bitten by a rattlesnake. We carry this anti-venom in right. New York where there's like almost a zero chance that your dog will get bitten by a rattlesnake. As, as opposed to here where there is a chance of it. Correct. Um, but we stock <laughs> right. it. It's incredibly expensive. It goes bad. We wow. restock it because we need to be there for you and your pet when they need it most. Yep. This is not a bad thing, Carol, but wow. like where, when someone walks into our hospital, we're, we're oftentimes the, the only folks available to save that pet's life. Right. And 70% right. of pets sleep in the bed with their human. Um, Mine does. <laughs> exactly. And you spend less- Mine do, I should say. You spend <laughs> several of them. of your money on your pet yeah. every year and your mm -hmm. pet is like mm -hmm. your child and more and more people yeah. are treating their pets like their child. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, we, uh, we're there when people need us the most and, um, right. we don't talk about cheap or, or expensive. We just talk about our job is to create visible value to the customer. Um, and I think that's, that's what drives all of us all the time. Well, and I, and I get that David. And, and the reason I asked the question mm -hmm. is not, you know, to be confrontational at all. No. Um, you know, I think some people might think why in the world is, are the veterinary, the emergency clinics so expensive? And, you know, you've answered the question, right? And, and given people maybe a little bit of an education on why it is so expensive. Yeah. You know, um, so you have about what, 2,600 employees. Is that right? Yeah. Ish. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about that talent strategy and where you're finding people and how you're finding people. So the first thing is uh, we do a lot of emergency work. We see, um, you quoted like over 300,000. I think it's probably closer to half a million cases that we see a year now. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of emergency work to be done and we're growing. And so yeah. the, existing, the existing emergency doctors and emergency nurses out there, they're all gainfully employed. Um, we can... You know, many of them will come work for us, sure. But uh, in order to meet the demand that we have to build our veggies, um, which in turn meets the demand, the emergency, the growing emergency demand out there for service, mm -hmm. um, we need to make our own. And so a big part of our strategy is making our own emergency doctors and emergency nurses. Uh, in the doctoring world, that means um, we start looking for the best and brightest and um, people whose values align with our core values. Yeah, uh, in vet school, and we have ambassadors okay, in all good. vet schools to explain mm -hmm. to them what vet mm -hmm. is and what a veggie is. 
And then um, we recruit from from that group uh, into our nerd program, which I'll take credit for the new ER doctor. Nerd stands for new ER doctor. Um, and so we'll recruit nerds. They graduate uh, vet school and um, they do an intensive uh, six-month emergency training program with us. And we will take uh, um, veterinarians who have been out of school for some time, uh, let's say doing general practice, some of them even in large animal and equine medicine, horse medicine, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're interested in exploring a career in emergency, small animal emergency medicine. And so they'll come join our nerd program as well. And Mm -hmm. we'll train those people and that'll produce the next crop of um, starter ER doctors. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are, you know, ready to hit the floor. These are competent emergency doctors. And we put them alongside a hospital, more competent ER doctors that they can teach one another. And that's how they and we continue to provide them education, uh, teach them how to do more and better things, and uh, and then they become you know better ER doctors. That's that's our making new ER doctors. We do the same thing on the nursing side, uh, where we hire nurses right out of nursing school, or we take them from uh, they've been in other general practice jobs, and we uh, upskill them to be emergency nurses. We do the same the same thing. And then you can I think, yeah, I think I think there's four big components to us, which is our nurses, our doctors, our assistants and receptionists and customer experience associates mm-hmm. in the one, bo- one bucket mm-hmm. and then our headquarters team, which we call headquarters. And I think when David and I try to think about it, we think about it the same way we think about the business. We won't share so much because this is our special sauce, but I'll say that we essentially look for how do we differentiate at every point? How do we differentiate for doctors, for nurses, um, for assistants, and for our VQ team? And I think ultimately we're self-selecting in many ways in the sense of where we do, we say we're not normal, but it's actually true. We're not actually normal. And, um, and so we're looking for people that want to jump on that type of rocket ship with us. When we have, we do huddles with our teams and David and I do them a little differently, but generally the same. And my huddle is actually always focused on people's origin stories. And the reason is because I'm interested in finding how people found about Veg and, and why they joined Veg. And at the end, I remind them that almost always the stories, Carol, come down to, you know, I joined Veg because I didn't like where I worked before and because of this, this, or that, or I joined Veg because I wanted something different. And I remind them at the end that like their job is to keep us different. Like they joined us, their origin stories are almost about like why they joined and why it's different. I said, that's our job is to keep it that different. And that's how we think about talent too, which is how do we provide a differentiated experience for everyone walking in the door? I view our talent team as our sales team except they're selling our culture. Yes. That's what they're selling. Well, that's right. And you should be looking at them as your sales team. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, they're exactly. salespeople. And not only that, but we hold them to an even higher bar than that and that they're also our Four Seasons concierge desk, which is how are they going to provide a better experience for when people are visiting a veg hospital to see what we're like. Yeah. And then, um, then there's a whole, there's the other part of the game, which is attrition and retention, which is we can be the best mm-hmm. recruiters in the world and sell, have the best culture or sell the best culture, I guess. But if we don't actually have a great culture to keep them, then it really doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And so uh, our talent strategy is centered around differentiated product for people to join us and how do we keep them um, enabled, focused, um, motivated, and incentivized to you know, be great veggies uh, and to stay with veg. Uh, David Bessler, you mentioned how you know, if there's two emergency hospitals next to each other, you know, which, one would they wa- which one would somebody walk into? And, and that makes me wonder what you're, what are you doing to, you know, from a marketing standpoint to get the word out to people like me who have, was completely unaware. I mean, you know, knowing there's one in the tech center, 
might mean I'll travel a little farther should I need to have, to have an emergency, right? That's, I can get there in about 25 minutes. Yeah. I think um, I'll say there's, there's a couple of things. Number one, uh, who, do you, who do you hang out with in your pet life? Like, are there other, do you have friends that have pets um, that you speak with, family members that have pets that you speak with? Um, word of mouth for us is, is huge. I think we have yeah. the highest net promoter score in the industry. Um, we have the highest net promoter score out of many industries. Um, mm -hmm. And that's literally what it is. These are promoters. These are people who are likely to recommend us to friends and family when they leave. If you, I don't know about you, so I guess when you, when was the last time you got out of an Uber and gave them anything less than five stars? Like, do you do that? Couldn't tell you. I, yeah. Like I, the typical, like, you give somebody a five star, it's like, yeah, it worked. Like I was there, they weren't obnoxious. Yeah. You know what I mean? The car didn't smell too bad. Your average score is 4.97. Everybody, everybody is 4.97. Like yeah. that's what people do. Yeah. Um, and so the truth <laughs> is for us, we have an amazing net promoter score simply because it doesn't go higher than, than a hundred or, you know what I mean? Like it just... <laughs> We have a high net promoter score, um, but beyond that, we blow people's minds. I think people have an experience above and beyond what they're expecting to have, mm -hmm. which does like, it's not just if people ask them, hey, where should I go for an emergency? They say veg. It's you can be sitting around like talking with people that happen to have pets. And I will say, oh my God, I have to tell you about this emergency experience that I had. It's promoting beyond just saying like, oh, they support us. Like that's really what an MPS does for everybody else. It's like if somebody asks you, where should I go? you'll tell them. For us, and it's, it's an experience beyond that where people can't wait to tell their friends on social media, in person, at the dog park, um, about the crazy dropped into a reality show, um, you know, on Animal Planet, uh, emergency vet show. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, that's, that's really the way that we, I mean, most people find us is like that. Um, we're lucky that, again, it's a benefit of focus of only doing emergency when um, when you have, if you have a company that does everything, general practice, specialty, boarding, grooming, selling food and emergency, mm -hmm. you're, you're spending your advertising dollars on all those things. And honestly, Google knows you, Google knows that you're not just advertising. You know what I mean? That you're throwing keywords in there. That's not all that you do for us. We have one keyword. It's emergency, it's super easy. Yeah. Um, and Google knows Google smart. And so if you're looking for emergency, they're going to give you the emergency provider, not the everything provider. When you search for shoes, like who's going to come up first, like the shoe manufacturer or the shoe store or like Target. They sell shoes at Target. Yeah, right. Whoever, whoever's got the best SEO. <laughs> yeah, but you get great SEO by focusing on one thing. They know that. That's what that's. And, and that's exactly, you know, that's exactly right. I, you know, I, I hear this so often from founders when I talk to them about these, these things, you know, the importance of being really great at what you do. And the more, the more diversified you are helps, you know, hurts how great you can be at one thing. Jack of all trades, master of none. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, would either of you say there's any outdated advice being disseminated, uh, in veterinary emergency medicine? And if so, what is it? There's a lot. Can I say one thing? You yeah. say it. So I don't know if it's emergency specific, but again, I'm the non-vet, right? So. Right. Um, I spent a lot of time in talent and I spent a lot of time as does David going to veterinary mm -hmm. campuses. And, um, I think the thing that really surprises me a little, um, is that these students spend 20,000 hours becoming a veterinarian clinically focused mm -hmm. and less than 10 hours focused on business and leadership. And ultimately like, the guy sitting to my left, um, I, 
I don't even actually know how great of a veterinarian he is, but I know he's a great leader in person. And um, now a lot of that came natural to David, and I know he's very well read and, and um, always is incredibly curious. Um, but not everyone's as well read and as curious as David. And so what I mean by that is I'm, I'm kind of shocked. I know it's not a veterinary school's job to teach people about business and leadership, but I think if, a, if they find success in their careers, it'll likely be because they're a good enough veterinarian and they practice high level of clinical skills. Um, but it mainly will be because they know how to work with people, how to collaborate with people, how to influence others, how to inspire others, how to build a team, how to talk to customers, how to build a business, how to find real estate, how to find talent to join you, how to have a marketing plan. And there's none of that. And I think that, um, I think it's really shame on the schools for like not at least, you know, they spend, they have $300,000 of debt and don't do anything about how to actually manage a business. Right. And I don't think it's just veterinary school. I think it's, it's dental school. Yeah. And it's it's probably medical school as well. <laughs> yeah, so we can't. We always they, say, they don't they, teach you that stuff. David and I joke we can't fix the world's problems or America's problems, but we can fix the very new world's problems. And so it's our job to uh, <laughs> try to educate as well as we can on business and leadership to, uh, mm-hmm. to enable you to be great clinicians. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned earlier one of you um, about I think it was you, David Bessler, about. Um, how sometimes uh, equine veterinarians will come to you and say they want to do emergency medicine. I would assert, I, I, I can give you some of the answers of why I think that might be since I have horses and, and a horse vet. Um, but why are they wanting to make that change? Yeah, I think the equine veterinary world has to really look itself in the eye and, and, <laughs> and realize like the old system just doesn't work. Um, it's mostly yeah. mobile where you're limited by right. like how many... You know, they go spend, uh, I don't know, when the vet comes to your house, they spend like two hours there. Um, and like, they're not getting paid two hours worth, um, mostly because... Plus the travel. Uh, plus, right, plus okay. the travel. Well, that's, that's what I figured you were going to say. That would be my assertion as to why that happens. Yeah, yeah. and there's an additional reason, which is, um, you know, people ask us sometimes, what's the catch about veg? Like, veg sounds too good to be true. Like, what's the catch? And we remind mm-hmm. people, the catch is really obvious and right there. It's like emergency medicine is really hard. You have the sickest patients, the worriedest customers, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? The worst mm-hmm. hours, like it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, equine, equine medicine might be harder. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to laugh. I mean, right. yeah, I'm a, I'm a city guy. I, I was like born and raised in the city. I'm terrified of horses. Um, they will <laughs> kill you. Uh, and in order to treat them, you got to like bend over, crawl around, you know, like know. It's, just, it's a really hazardous job. So yeah. That's the problem, I think. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I do. I look at the amount, you know, and and the 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 farm charge isn't nearly what you know what what you think it should be. It's like it should probably be higher, <laughs> you know, for them to come out the time that they're spending driving to you. Yeah, and then you have fewer places to go to because people will just not pay that. Right. Well, you know, um, and and of course, I don't want to get too off track, but you know, the other challenge is is you know when your horse has an emergency, you got to take it to the emergency clinic. Right. And there aren't a lot of those around here. Yeah. I mean, you know, CSU would be is my preferred place to take a horse to if, in an emergency, but it's also two hours from my horses. <laughs> That's yeah. not even that bad, actually, Carol. <laughs> it's only two hours. Really? Yeah. How far is how far yeah. is Denver from you? Um, depending on where. I'm like thirty miles, uh, thirty miles from uh, Mile High Stadium. 
I mean, if you know where that is. I think there are a lot of people that pass by bigger and fancier hospitals to come to us. Uh, you'd be passing by two mm-hmm. smaller hospitals to come to us. Um, mm-hmm. I think you should drive to Denver, walk in there and get to know the people. Well, I mean, if you've got one in the tech center, I could do that. There you go. Done. <laughs> Deal. You know, that's, clo- that's closer to me. And, and hopefully eventually you'll have one down here in Douglas County. Um, because I would say what you have described is desperately needed here. And I'll tell you more about that when yeah. we're not online. But. Carol, you, know, this, you asked a question before about uh, what misinformation is out there. there there's something. Yes. Um, I think the common misconception today is that you dread going to the veterinary ER, that it is, yeah, right. you want to avoid it at all costs. Now you want to avoid the emergencies at all costs. I get that. But once you're having an emergency, there's this crazy idea that like you don't want to go in because it's going to be a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what we've changed is in the past, going to the ER was waiting, distrust, fear, anxiety, et cetera, Mm -hmm. Um, and pain and suffering and fear and anxiety for your pet too. Um, And I think we've changed that and that now a visit to the ER is full of heroic helping. Um, Mm -hmm. We're like a beacon of hope. You walk in there, people will right away, like within 60 seconds, you will see a doctor um, who will immediately start helping, um, who will start tending to your needs. Uh, You have an experienced staff of caring people and you will get to stay with your pet and watch every step of the way how they care for your pet. You can tell them he won't Mm -hmm. like that. We will ask you, what, does, what will he like? What will he not? We'll sit on the floor with your pet because that's mm-hmm. where, where they're more comfortable. So right. the, we've turned it around. The experience now is one of heroic helping. We tell people as they leave, our common blessing to people is like, we hope you never need us. Um, but yeah. if you do, um, it's, it's a heroically helpful experience that you will find when you come to us, not something to dread. The one thing I have not asked you is, do you work on only small animals? We'll treat anything that fits through the door. And is that primarily cats and dogs? Yeah, we'll treat... Except except horses. We'll treat anything that fits through the door. We've treated goats, chickens, um, pigs. Oh my God. Uh, it's funny. It. We A lot of veterinary students come out of school not trained and competent or confident in treating mm-hmm. what we call exotics. Ferrets, rabbits, mm-hmm. small pocket pets, right. birds. And we, we have some people here that do that, as you, I'm sure you know. Yeah, and what's crazy, though, is you can call around ERs if you have a rabbit, and people, like, I'm having an emergency with my rabbit, and they'll say, I don't feel comfortable seeing rabbits. And <laughs> I don't know, for me, when I sit around the table with my non-veterinary friends and I tell them that, they'll say, like, oh, I didn't know that there, that was an option. Yeah, It's like, wait a minute, that. aren't you a veterinarian? Aren't yeah. you supposed to, like, help yeah. sick pets? Yeah. Um, Right, And so uh, we see it like that. We help people and their pets when they need it most. And people have some wacky pets, um, but they're animals that are in need and there's nobody better around to treat them. Uh, It's our responsibility. We train our doctors and our nurses to to treat those pets. We send them to really intensive, we spend a ton of money on training them so that they feel confident um, and that they are competent to treat those pets. So we'll treat all sorts of stuff. Goats, like I said, goats, pigs. We had fish, treat fish. Who does that? Who brings a fish to the vet? But they do, and we treat them. I, I couldn't. Even, yeah, amazing. That's amazing. Um, David Bessler, uh, how do you spend your time when you're not working? With my family, uh, if all goes well, I have uh, three amazing boys and the world's best wife, um, and uh, I try to spend time with them. They're they're quickly growing up and leaving the house, and I want to spend as much yeah. time with as I can. That's one. Uh, I read a ton. I love reading. 
Uh, and then I play Magic the Gathering, a super nerdy card game with my boys, which kind of like unites everything. Reading, nerdiness, yeah. and spending time with my kids. <laughs> and David Gladstein, I do know that you uh, have a wife and two kids um, and a dog named Belichick. So, you know, from, from anybody who's in Boston, we probably figured out where you figured that name out, right? Um, what do you do with your time, your free time? Like David, uh, best wife in the world. I would say like, we're both very fortunate that starting a business is a child, maybe even two or three children, (laughs) quite honestly. And we could not do what we do without our spouses. I know David and I are outrageously fortunate for that. They are not 50% partners, hundred percent partners, as David says, in doing this. And so, um, you know, same thing. I, I, I just, we don't get much time. And when we get time, I think being with our family is incredibly valuable. You know, my, I coach my son's yeah. little league team. I'm very involved with that. Um, my daughter and I, um, I think we try to do our special things together. She's going to come visit one of our hospitals, which she loves doing with us in Florida and we'll go to fun restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I sports is just a really good outlet for me too. I think it takes out some of my competitive juices. I'm not on the field, but you know, I, I try to say that I am Carol. <laughs> and, uh, Do either of you have budding veterinarians? Um, my daughter actually would, uh, I think, uh, she actually took a picture with David that is still uh, framed with us when she was four mm-hmm. and, uh, um, dressed up as a vet. But I, I just hope that they find what they're, I think, Dave and I are really passionate about what they do. And I think we both just hope our kids are passionate about what they do too. Um, is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? This is really fulsome, actually. Um, did a good job. Yeah, did a really good job. Because he's on a lot of podcasts and I think his one was actually... Yeah, I don't think there's yeah. anything left. Yeah. Great. Well, I appreciate that. Well, and I weren't really wanted since there were two of you. Uh, I didn't want to cut into either of your time. And, you know, I said, well, we'll just, we'll just have a longer podcast. That's great. So if somebody listening to this, which is certainly a, a, a possibility, if not a probability, um, is thinking, wow, I have to work for this company. What should they do? www.veg.com. Super easy. There is a career page there. If you're a nurse or you're a doctor, I'm sure there's an alumni at your school that works at Veg. Reach out mm-hmm. to them. Um, mm-hmm. get to know Veg a little bit more. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Walk into our hospitals with or without a pet. Um, probably don't go late at night if you're without a pet, though. And um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to do yeah. that. I'm totally going to do that. Bring, <laughs> bring your horse. Bring your horse. I think yeah. they're more like... Bring, yeah, right. I'll just ride on up there. <laughs> more likely to have your horse <laughs> See if we can't if But you know what's really cool, right. Carol? If you walk... If you go to LaGuardia or JFK or Newark Airport, you're yeah. likely, very likely going to find someone wearing veg gear at the airport because our employees are traveling across the country for us. And I think mm-hmm. you'll find... Those I want to wear veg gear now. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think you'll find that those people are really proud to work for veg and they will be mm-hmm. more than happy yeah. to talk to you about their experience. Um, and I think we can confidently say that uh, our per capita basis, no one wears more veg gear. <laughs> no one wears more veterinary gear than veggies. And so um, go up to any veggie and talk to them and they'll tell you too. Well, with that said, David Bessler, founder and CEO of Veg and David Gladstein, co-founder and president of Veg. This has been just a delight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I think everybody's going to love this podcast. Thanks, Carol. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, 
please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.